we do need to pray for one another and trust in God's promises to change things. Even when we can't see a way forward, even when we don't know what's, where it's going to come from or how it's going to happen, we have that trust that God still holds the world together. And we follow God in those ways as well, knowing that sometimes we are the answers to our prayers, right? Be careful what you pray for, because you never know how God might turn it around and ask you to do something for someone else. And with that in mind, we're talking about discipleship this morning, right? We pray to be disciples of Christ. It's in our mission statement. And yet we know that when we ask God to make us more full disciples to walk closer with God, that that might require some interesting things of us. So yeah, we're continuing our sermon series on the mission statement, as I said. Just to review, our mission statement is, by the grace of God, we are disciples of Christ, reaching out and welcoming all. So today we focus on what it means to be disciples of Christ. We'll be looking at that text from Matthew chapter 5 and Since it just made sense, I've titled this sermon, We Are Disciples of Christ. Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O God. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Every Wednesday night, we have Bible study here at Reformation. And this past Wednesday night, the group together looked at about 20 different Bible passages that speak about discipleship. Because even at Bible study on Wednesday night, we're talking about the mission statement. It's almost as if pastor put a plan together for this. And as you might imagine, we looked at these 20 different passages and there's loads of insights within there. Discipleship, it turns out, is a very broad and complex term. It includes a lot of different things. And now here this morning, we read four more passages that talk about what it means to be a disciple. And I commend all of those four passages that we read from this morning, Micah, from the Psalms, from Romans, and from the book of Matthew. Those all have a lot to teach us. But as I said, we're going to be looking particularly at Matthew chapter 5. We have a lot of questions, I'm sure, about how a disciple should behave and act. We've heard already this morning about the importance of doing justice and loving kindness We've read about being genuine and holding one another in mutual affection. But the thing about Matthew chapter 5 is this is what Jesus specifically has to say when it comes to discipleship. So that should make you straighten up a little bit, open your ears a little bit more. What does Jesus tell us about how disciples are to act? Before we get into the specifics of what we find in Matthew chapter 5, I want to give you a little bit of backstory, kind of leading up to the passage we're going to look at. If you want to start looking for the passage now, it's on page 4 in the New Testament, Matthew 5, and we start at verse 13. But as you start leafing through your Bibles, just a little bit of background. Here's what's happened up to this point in Matthew's Gospel, okay? Jesus is born. That's a good place to start. The wise men visit him. Herod tries to kill him. His family escapes to Egypt, and then they return from Egypt. Then Jesus is baptized by John in the River Jordan and the heavens open up and a dove comes from heaven along with a big booming voice that says, listen to this guy. 
He's my son. He knows what he's talking about. So God says, listen to this man. Keep that in mind. And then after this incredible baptism, heaven's opening, loud, booming voice moment, Jesus heads to the wilderness to pray and to be tempted by Satan. But he overcomes all of that and exits the wilderness, ready to get to work. And so he starts calling disciples to follow him. He starts going into the different synagogues in his region and teaching. He starts healing people who are sick and who are in need and who are hurting. And so you've got this guy, Jesus, who, remember, when he was baptized, God said, listen to him. And then he starts getting followers and he starts teaching and he starts healing. And it turns out people do, in fact, start listening. In fact, whole crowds of people have started to follow him around. He's calling this merry band of disciples, sure, but he's also got a much larger group of disciples, thousands of people who have heard about this rabbi and who are wondering what he's got to say. You see, Jesus, we might say, is going viral. Do we know what this means nowadays, right? He's trending on Twitter. His Instagram is blowing up. His podcast has thousands of downloads. Jesus goes from carpenter's son, nobody, to top ten teacher in Galilee in three seconds flat. And so there are many people following him around, clinging to his every word. And it's actually gotten so big that Jesus has to climb up on a mountain just so he can see everyone and they can hear him talk. You might have heard about this. Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus's more famous sermons that he gives. And it's where our reading today falls in the scripture passage. Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with Jesus saying some pretty upside down, backwards, not at all what you were expecting type of things. Blessed are the poor, Jesus begins. Blessed are the meek. He says, blessed are the mourners and the persecuted. Blessed are the hungry, Jesus says. And by this point, everyone must have been really confused. And so they're whispering to some, one another, like, is this some sort of performance art that we don't get yet? And then you've got other people who have come for the first time to listen to Jesus. And they're probably saying to their friend, they're like, I thought you said this guy was good. And then Jesus says, You are salt, and you are light. And that's what we've got to talk about this morning. You are salt and light, he says. Look with me at verse 13. Jesus says on the mountaintop to thousands of people who have gathered to hear what he has to say, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, here's what you need to know about salt. Because I'm sure that many of you are thinking right now, I can't be salt. My doctor says I have to cut that out to lower my blood pressure. (laughs) Or some of you are saying, see, the scriptures say it's okay for me to be a little salty once in a while. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus is getting at. Nice try. What Jesus is actually talking about is the way that salt preserves things. 
You see, in those days, you didn't have a refrigerator. Jesus didn't have his Frigidaire plugged in in the corner, and any of the people who were gathered there this morning didn't have a Maytag or a GE or an LG or a Samsung. They didn't bring their steaks home from the grocery store and throw them in the icebox. The only way for food to keep was for you to cover it with salt. Salt keeps moisture away, which keeps bacteria from spreading. So in those days, while salt was used for seasoning, like we do today, more importantly, it was used for preserving your food. And so, when Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount that we need to be salt, everyone there would have understood exactly what he was talking about. We need to preserve the world from rot and decay. We need to preserve the world from corruption. You see, Jesus is this great teacher, and he's telling the people gathered there plainly that things in the world aren't quite right. I'm sure many of you, right, heard the last, just this last week about this new report from the United Nations about climate change. They're saying that the world is literally decaying before our eyes. If we don't do something soon, and in fact, we might have already missed our chance, there will be grave consequences as the global temperatures continue to rise. And so, certainly, as Christians, we are called to preserve the world from this type of rot and decay. But 2,000 years ago, When Jesus was first talking about preserving the earth, he wouldn't have been talking about climate change or carbon emissions. No, no, no. What Jesus was speaking about was the corruption and the decay that lives in the human heart. Jesus saw the ways that high priests and Pharisees used religion to oppress other people. He saw the ways that they used the scriptures and the laws of God to say that some people are in and some people are out Jesus saw all of this and he said, we need to preserve the world from this type of decay. And back then, Jesus also saw all the ways that women and tax collectors and lepers and cripples were pushed out of society, literally put outside of the community. And Jesus said, we need to preserve the world from this type of decay. And I'm sure Jesus looks around today and he sees the income gap and the way that it's growing. He sees that the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer. And Jesus says, we need to preserve the world from this type of decay. And Jesus sees the polarized political climate that we live in, where people are no longer treating one another like people. Intelligent conversation about complex matters are all pushed aside in favor of people saying, you're either with me or you're against me, and I'm not going to listen to what you have to say on the matter. And Jesus sees all this and says, we need to preserve the world from this type of decay. And Jesus sees the ways that guns and for-profit prisons and opioids and alcohol destroy millions of lives each and every year. And he says, we need to preserve the world from this type of decay. Jesus says that his disciples are the salt of the earth. We are salt, church. 
And that means that we need to be working to preserve the world from the corruption of hatred and evil and sin. Oh, but wait, there's more. Jesus was good at giving long sermons. And so he doesn't just stop at talking about being salty. No, no, no. Jesus also says that we are the light of the world. You see, all the corruption that's out there, all the evil in this world can make it seem like a pretty dark place. It can feel like we're walking around right through the valley with shadows all around us, clouding our vision, sucking us in, creating a veil over our eyes where we can only see dimly. But Jesus, Jesus says that as disciples, we are called to be light in this increasingly dark world. We must let our light shine in the world so that others can be led away from the destruction and the corruption. We must let the light of Christ's love, the light of Christ's patience, the light of Christ's mercy and kindness and empathy shine through us. Because even the flicker of one candle can dispel the darkness in an entire room. Just one small act of kindness can pull a person out of despair. Just one act of mercy can be the gracious moment that changes a person's life forever. You, 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 all of you, we are the light of the world, Jesus says. You can preserve this world with one small act of love. I heard a story a while back about an old man who was walking along a beach that was littered with thousands of starfish. They had all washed ashore during high tide. And as he walked, he came upon a young boy who was out there eagerly throwing starfish back into the ocean one at a time. Puzzled, the man looked at the boy and laughed a little bit. And he said, son, what are you doing out there? And the boy, without even making eye contact with the old man, said, I'm saving these starfish, sir. And the old man laughed and said, son, there are thousands of starfish and only one of you. What difference can you make? And the boy picked up another starfish. But before throwing it, he turned and looked directly at the man. He looked him in the eyes and then turned back to the ocean and threw the starfish into the sea. And he said, well, I made a difference to that one. Church, you might not be able to preserve the entire world. But you can be a source of light for at least one other person. We say in our mission statement that we are disciples of Christ. And that means that we are salt and we are light. We have been called to preserve and keep the world from corruption. And we are called to shine our light knowing that even a small act of love can make all the difference. We can get caught up in the magnitude of the world's corruption. There's so much out there these days that can just break your heart. And that's on top of all of our own personal struggles that we're dealing with. The pain in our own lives. The worry in our own hearts about whatever might be coming each and every day. And you might be thinking, what can I possibly do about all this? Stop. Just stop. Don't get overwhelmed with the enormity of it all. One starfish at a time, okay? And maybe you're still thinking, Pastor, Pastor, 
I'm just one person. Well, then let me tell you what one person can do. 2,000 years ago, God sent one person to earth. And his name was Jesus, and he was salt, and he was light. And he took all of the world's corruption onto his shoulders. And he carried that cross up another mountain called Golgotha, and he put it to death there. All of it, all the sin, all the evil, all the death, all the decay, Jesus took it upon himself and he died so that it would die too. So that you and I might be preserved. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave shining with light. He rose from the grave so that no matter how dark things got for us, we would still know that there is hope in the Lord. The light of Christ still shines brightly for us through whatever we might be facing. What can one person do? I'll tell you what Jesus can do. Jesus can preserve this entire world. He can preserve you and me. He will shine brightly for us even when things get dark. Beloved, we are called to be salt and light because that's exactly What Jesus has been for us. Jesus will preserve you through whatever's going on. Jesus will be that light of hope when you can't see another way forward, when you can't see how this is going to turn out. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's Jesus. The one who will gather us all together at the end of days. The one who will bring us all together, even when things seem dark. Amen.